This morning we continue our summer in the Psalms, and we're going to look this morning at Psalm chapter 23, an incredibly well-known psalm, not only by the church, but by many of those outside the church. A psalm about the Lord being the shepherd of his people, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. This psalm is a tremendous source of comfort. And it has been for many of us in this room. For me this past week. For many of you grappling with sorrows and trials, anxieties, death. The hope of the gospel for us is like an anchor because really we need to tether ourselves to something that is immovable when all of life feels quite fragile and quite transient and very unstable. And we all go through those seasons where we can feel those sorts of things. And this psalm, as we meditate on the deep, deep poetry here, I think, brings lots of words of comfort. Charles Spurgeon, uh, a theologian generations ago, uh, said of this psalm that it's charmed more griefs and reprimanded more felon thoughts and black doubts and thieving sorrows and sent them to their dungeon than anything else. This psalm has comforted the poor. It has sung courage into the army of the disappointed. It's brought consolation into the heart of the sick. It has brought comfort to widows in their pinching griefs, orphans in their loneliness, moments where the hospitals seem ghastly and helped those dying to have died easier. The psalm has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. We're going to take some time this morning to consider... uh, this psalm, and I've broken it out in the natural progression of this poetry. First, we're going to look at the promise of our God. Secondly, the comfort in our God. And then lastly, the strength of our God. Firstly, the, com- uh, the promise. The promise of our God is that not only is our God transcendent, but imminent. We were talking to the kids about this even at camp, because it's important to remember that our God is intimately aware of what we need, and he promises to provide starts out by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I wish when I was a little kid in, uh, in Sunday school class that my Sunday school teacher, I'm just going to refer to him as Mr. H, that he told me that the phrase, I shall not want, didn't mean I didn't want him. Because it's an old way of speaking. For the, so the, for the benefit of all the young kids in the service today, when it says the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, it means I'm not going to lack anything, I need nothing. I, I wish I, I had just raised my hand because I was confused for quite a long time. I want to say, Mr. H, I kind of feel like I should want him. And, but that's what the, the psalm starts out by 
making a very bold proclamation that you will lack nothing. And that flies in the face of the human experience where we seem to be constantly lacking all kinds of things. But he is promising something deep and profound in the midst of those moments of lack. It means we're never going to go uncared for. It's not that he's not unaware of it. He's not just trans- transcendent creator of the universe that doesn't know what we need on Monday. He knows. And it's actually quite remarkable that um, the Lord would permit himself to be called a shepherd. Because in ancient societies, the shepherd's work was not something that you desired. Nobody had shepherd posters you know, up in their bedroom with motivational quotes underneath it. Like, one day. It was the kind of work that you got stuck with. So if you had a family and there was a whole bunch of siblings, it wasn't that the oldest brother was sent out, I'll do it, I'll be the shepherd. They sent the youngest one out, go on, get out there, go do this menial job that nobody wants to do. It was lowly work. And so it's interesting that the God of the universe presents himself as a God who stoops, God who cares, this intimate closeness with his beloved, he cares about. And it also says that he's not a great cosmic shepherd, it's very personal. He says he's my shepherd. When you think about the implications of that, it's that, yes, of course it's true, he's the transcendent, you know, cosmic shepherd of the universe, but again, sheep weren't wild, they were owned. And so there's a sense here where they were purchased at a price. We, of course, being the children of our great shepherd who has purchased us by his price, by giving himself up as a sacrificial lamb, we are his. It's also interesting that this is a psalm of David. David wrote it. David is the king. But even as the king, he puts himself in a vulnerable posture, needing a shepherd, confessing that he needs a shepherd, confessing that he's not self-sufficient. The default position of the human heart is to be self-sufficient. It's to not want a shepherd. It's to be our own shepherds. It's the very opposite of this. It's not to be transparent and vulnerable and confess that we need Leading. And just as the shepherd takes care of the sheep, God, of course, takes care of our needs. And just as the shepherd leads the sheep down very carefully chosen paths, so God's word is like a guide as the great shepherd leads our paths. Just as the shepherd guards the sheep, protecting them from danger and death, our God, of course, protects us from the danger and ultimate sense of death, but also in between this day and that day, the wisdom of his word guides our lives to flourishing as students on campus, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, and in our city. The kind of people that we will be, that living accordance to the wise guidance of his word is way in which our lives can flourish, because we will bend our knee to his wisdom goes on to say he'll make us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. And the still waters uh, in the Hebrew, uh, the still, the manuka, waters, the waters of rest. It's a statement where it's like he just dissipates the anxiety, dissipates the worry, brings you to a place, gets you to, brings your soul to a place where you're at the waters of rest. It's a powerful picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's a promise. He can do this. I think the real question is, where are we? Because I think we can think of many times where we're shaking our fists at heaven and we're like, oh God, where are you? And there are definitely psalms that sound like, oh God, where are you? And David wrote those as well. But I think the real question is when we 
are in that state of tremendous anxiety and worry and stress and fear, I think the real question is, who moved? Did the shepherd wander away? Or did I wander away? Years ago, there was an article in the BBC where there was this sheep that fell off a cliff and the sheep died. Because it was grazing where it thought it was obviously going to be a good place to graze and it died. But that's not, that's not worthy of a BBC article. After that sheep fell off the cliff, 400 other sheep followed it over the cliff, and they also died. That's also not the end of the article, because those 400 fluffy bodies provided a mattress for the 1,100 other sheep that followed them over the cliff. 1,500 sheep. Thankfully, 1,100 landed on the fluffy mattress, and they made it. But... Sheep are led by their stomachs. And not only are they led by their stomachs, they're also nervous and anxious creatures. So one of them goes, Ugh, and the rest of them are like, Ugh. I don't want to talk about the pandemic too long, so let's just give it 20 seconds. But remember the pandemic? Remember that? Was, remember when the, everybody was like, you're a sheep. No, you're a sheep. You're a group of sheep. No, you're a group of sheep. I'm not a sheep. I'm just wearing a hat and holding a sign and a banner with all these other people that agree with my position on the matter. Sheep. Give me a break. My friend, we're all sheep. You're all sheep. You're all dumb as sheep. And I can say that because I, as a pastor, am a sheep. I am also dumb as a sheep. I'm only, I'm only elevated because I'm half Italian and none of you would see me. I'm not up here because there's anything special about pastors. There's nothing special about pastors. We are called as you are called to live our lives to the glory of God and live our vocation out to the glory of God. Our vocation happens to be this. But we are called to live to God's glory and we are his sheep. And we need a shepherd and we need to be led. Pastors are simply sheep that are called to act like shepherds. And mature Christians, as you read through the New Testament, interestingly enough, mature believers are also sheep called to act like shepherds. So we're all sheep, we're all led, we're all anxious creatures. We can all say, this looks like something that I will graze on, and we always do it in times of anxiety, stress, fear, worry, lack. Something caught on fire. In the case of my family this week, somebody died unexpectedly. You know, I'm not up here, uh, not an emotional mess because I'm a robot and I didn't love my mother. It's because, it's because sometimes when things are so sudden, so unexpected, you're just basically in a state of shock and on adrenaline. So that would describe me at the moment, right? Uh, and uh, so I'm going to have a good cry at some point, hopefully not mid-teaching, but it's going to happen. And when our souls are out of rest and out of sync, They immediately seek to be fed. Where do you go to feed? Where do you go to soothe the inner unrest in the soul? What do you turn to? Because if it isn't the good shepherd, it's too small. And you will be stuck in a cyclical pattern of diminishing returns. And those of you who struggle with addiction or have gone to someone or counsel those with addiction will understand that diminishing return of chasing the high of comfort that you never get back again and it just gets worse and worse and worse because everything is smaller than the good shepherd and incapable. We were created for God and anything else is just too small to quiet the human soul. If you Google soul 
you know, images, like there's all these tranquil things show up, like everything, all the images sound like, that's how the modern mind thinks about the soul. No, whenever the Bible talks about the soul, it's a, soul, it's a raging storm. There is unrest there. It's chaotic, seeking the rest. And so that's why when the soul gets out of rest, the sheep go feeding. And sometimes on the sides of cliffs, and sometimes they find themselves on the other side of those cliffs. We've all done it. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And such good news that he does all of this leading because sheep don't know where their next meal is. But they don't need to. They just need to know where their shepherd is. You and I don't know, metaphorically speaking, where our next meal is. Right? We don't know what next week will hold, next month, next year. We don't know what's up next quarter. We don't know what's up after graduation. We don't know. We live our lives with a sense of you know, trying to be diligent and faithful and, and be good stewards of our gifts, our resources, our time. But there's a, the, the future is always this am, ambiguous fog that we can't, you can't just nail it down. And so there is tremendous comfort as a child of God having the privilege of knowing you have a good shepherd, that you, do not know, you don't need to know where your next answer is. You just need to know where your shepherd is. He leads you to what you need next. And this is such a word of comfort as we sit in the implications of being led like that. You know, in, in the ancient world and in many countries today where, where they're herding sheep, they're constantly on the move because you're moving from, from place to place because what's lush today may not be lush tomorrow. And many of us have experienced that in life where something that was lush today isn't lush the next day. Something that we thought was nourishing our soul today, maybe relationally, maybe vocationally, maybe romantically. That could be a lot of different things that we thought were lush. And then we wake up the next day to realize it's a dry place. That is disconcerting if you don't have a good shepherd. But if you are constantly turning to the goodness of your shepherd in trust and in meditation and in reflection and in rest, you get the promise of this nourishment of your soul, even in those dry and intimidating times. Let's move on from the, this promise. Because all of those things that we just reflected on, God is capable. These are promises. We just must merely know where the shepherd is and, be tur and turn to him. The comfort in our God. The comfort in our God, this presence of our God that brings the comfort, forges courage and resilience in dark seasons of life for all who turn to him. So this is my encouragement to you as I preach to myself. Continue to turn to Him. That's where the courage is. That's where the resilience is. That's where the hope is. That's where the rest is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's an, an image of discipline there, and the rod and the staff being nudged in the proper and the correct direction and way by the shepherd. This valley of the shadow of death is symbolic of the dark seasons of life that we've all been in. Threats, provoking fears, things that are unsettling. And we all walk through these dark times. 
But you notice that the, the, the promise is that the guidance is through the valley. The promise is that there is an eradication of fear in the midst of the valley. The last time that I taught, we unpacked how God moves when we're in these trials and we see that the way out is actually through. He's not just removing circumstances, circumstances. Many times the modern prayer sounds a lot like, Oh God, this thing is terrible. Please remove the circumstance. Oh, this thing is now terrible. Oh God, please remove that circumstance. Our prayers are just removal. When you break our prayers down, we think the Savior is a better circumstance. But what God's trying to forge in the heart of His children is that there can be resilience and strength and peace when there is no good circumstance, when the circumstance doesn't change. That's why if you're a member of Redeemer here, you'll notice I don't preach a silver lining theology because I'm just going to create a new crisis of faith when the next doctor's report comes back and it's unchanged or it's worse. I want the Word of God to forge resilience in you, strength in you, peace in you, calm in you. So that when you're in the valley of the shadow of death, it's in the midst of it that there can be a sense of uh, strength, a sense of being carried through what's going on. I want you to notice too that it is a shadow. And I think that's important as I borrow from Spurgeon here again where he says that the death of the substance has actually been removed. That when we are united to Christ that we remember this. The shadow of death remains. If there's a shadow, that means there must be light somewhere. And so there is. So there's the shadow of death and that terrible thing that you have to deal with on Monday. But the light is somewhere. And so we cling to Him. Death stands by the highway, which we all have to travel. And the light of heaven is shining upon death. And it casts the shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is light beyond the goodness of our God. Nobody is afraid of a shadow. The shadow can't stop your pathway for a moment. shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy. The shepherd's presence doesn't eliminate the valley, but it does eliminate our fear in the valley. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That's what you and I need. Finally, the strength of God. As the poetry moves on, we see there is this tremendous strength presented. In the seasons of trouble where we are anxious and exhausted, He replenishes us with the strength of His grace, which is inexhaustible. In verse 5, there's actually a huge shift in the metaphor. Because up until now, this has been sheep and shepherds. All of a sudden in verse 5, huge shift in the poetry as he's preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And now my head is anointed and my cup is overflowing. First, the good shepherd is portrayed as guiding and providing. Now the shepherd is fellowshipping and uplifting. In the midst of the valley, epicenter of trouble, darkness and death, God looks on you and I with love and he says, who's hungry? In the midst of our week when we're crying out to God, we're starfished on the couch, oh God. He's like, you know what? How about a sandwich? Who needs some nourishment? Who is starving right now? Who's hungry? Do you see this shift in the poetry? It's incredible. 
Trouble's casting a shadow over our hearts. There's a threat of death that wants to suck the joy out of our lives like a cold drizzle on a low-hanging sky. And we're dealing with anxiety and there's insomnia in the soul and God looks right at us. And he's like, you know, you could use something to eat. And we're going to stop right here and we're going to feast. He sets a table, right? He sets a table in the presence. This is just like a huge flex on the forces of the forces of darkness. It's a huge flex. It's like act three, Lord of the Rings, swords and shields and the, the utmost everywhere. And God's like, now seems like a good time for a picnic. You go ahead and you just keep on throwing your worst at my children. Oh, we're just going to have some lunch. Do you see just this huge flex of God in the midst of what, by all appearances, should destroy us, our mental health and everything else. But somehow, by God's grace and empowering presence, there is strength instead. God's grace on full display. Absolutely amazing. And again, the key, as we see in this text, is... We just have to be with him to enjoy the feeding. The rhythm in our lives of meditation, of rest, of prayer. I said it a couple weeks ago, uh, I'll say it again today, that if I don't have a rhythm of rest and prayer and meditation in my life, that doesn't make me a bad Christian. That's not even a helpful category. Do you think if I don't pray this coming week, God will stop loving me? Your theology is terrible if you think that's true. Of course God will continue to love me, but I will be tremendously weak, susceptible, vulnerable. The gifts of God's means of grace are there to nourish and strengthen His people when all hell is breaking loose. That's what it's for. So the reason why we gather and make Sunday morning a priority in worship in our week is not to say, well, if I miss church on Sunday, God's going to be mad. That is such a small way of thinking about what is being offered. He has given us the day of rest because He's the Lord of rest because He knows that in the midst of a world that is fragile, our souls need to be led to the waters of rest. And so He provides it. He calls us to it. He commands us to stop striving. He says, stop working and trust me for 24 hours and see if I won't care for you and all of your needs and what you're up to on Monday. This is the glorious picture that we're given as we just feast in the middle of everything that we're going through. The table being set up in the presence of the enemies. And this is important. Last thing I'll say before I move on here is that because many of us grew up, whether this was taught explicitly or we somehow got it implicitly, we thought that if we were mature in our faith, that when all hell was breaking loose and we turned to God and we were praying to Him and our spiritual disciplines were in line and we could check the religious boxes, that God would extract us out of the valley, put us on the mountaintop, change the experiences we were going through, and then we would feast and have lunch. But that's not the poetry. He doesn't take us out of anything. He gives us the resilience right in the middle of it. You know, as a father, this is the way that I've desired to raise my children. Not to just keep praying and trusting God that everything's going to work out okay. But that you know where to turn where nothing is okay. And that you can find strength and hope and resilience and have a buoyancy in the soul when nothing is okay. Verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
You could also translate it. It says surely goodness, but you could translate the Hebrew only goodness. Only. Right? That's all I'm having. I'm having goodness a la carte. That's what I'm having. It's the way that the, the poetry ends. It's very bold. And the mercy implies this covenant. God's goodness and mercy. We, you know, we get to celebrate it on the day of this baptism to think that God is faithful when we're not. He's steadfast. There's unchanging love. And this is an important claim because not all of the trouble that you and I find ourselves in, not all of the valleys are because of external forces. Some of the trouble, some of the valleys, some of the darkness is of our own doing. So then what? Is there an escape clause for the good shepherd? He's like, well, I've been going down this checklist and it seems to me you've missed quite a number of things. So all bets are off. And uh, yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, good luck. I'm going to go find a more faithful sheep who's got a little more discipline in their spiritual uh, habits than you do. My friend, this language of only God's goodness and His mercy will follow me all the day, this is falling on the knees in a humble acceptance of God's undeserved grace, trusting and relying on Him and knowing that though we are faithful, the Good Shepherd is faithful. Because every once in a while, we, like dumb sheep, swan dive into the valley. The compassionate character of our God in this psalm is powerful because it reminds us of his unstoppable love towards us. The good shepherd who Jesus Christ comes as a sacrificial lamb for us. He is our scapegoat. He is the one who went to the cross for us. He has carried away our sins so we could be carried away by God's grace. He was carried away by our sins that we could be carried through the valleys by God's goodness. And the psalm ends with the dwelling, dwelling in the house for the Lord forever. And dwelling is what God has wanted from the beginning. He was dwelling in the garden. Eden is a picture of a temple, heaven and earth poetically connected in the language of Genesis. The temple, dwelling. After man destroys everything, what does God do? He comes to them in the dust in the desert, of, surrounded by his 12 dysfunctional families, wandering around in the desert, dwelling with them, the tabernacle. The Holy of Holies. What does he do after he gives them the, the, the kingdom? They build the temple. He's dwelling. What do they do? They fail again. Babylon comes in 587 BC. Wipes everything out like God never did anything since Genesis. Totally destroys everything. What does God want? What does God do? Dwelling. What does he do? He comes and he incarnates himself in Jesus Christ. We celebrate it at Christmas. Dwelling. The incarnation of God. John 1. The protology. He comes. He's dwelling. He moved into the neighborhood. He wrapped himself in the clothing of his own creation. Where does the end of the Bible go? Spoiler alert in Revelation. What happens? Dwelling. The restoring of everything that has happened. How do we get from here to there? The Holy Spirit. The empowering presence of God. Dwelling. We are now the mobile temples. We are now his children. We now have the resilience to turn to trust in him as we wait for the day when he restores all things. And before this day and that day there will be darkness and valleys and sorrow and death. But by the goodness of God's grace... We are, we are upheld by the goodness of our shepherd. Let's pray.